There are times when people kind of laugh at you when you're in Montgomery and they're like, that's never going to happen. No way, no how. And then you look up and the winds change and suddenly it's the right time. And I think the grocery tax is a great example of that issue. Alrighty, welcome in, kids. Your favorite weekly political podcast that we creatively called Alabama Politics This Week. Uh, I am Josh Moon, and that is David Person. Alrighty, uh, this is this is what you call an easy show. Uh, it's hmm. an easy show starter. Uh, there's there's mm-hmm. no argument whatsoever on what the lead story would be. Not that me and David typically have very many arguments on things, but right. uh, but the, in this particular case, there's not even much of a discussion. We just uh, say tuberville, tuberville. That's right. Yep. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and if you are unfamiliar yeah. uh, somehow and you're listening, which I, I doubt since you're listening to an Alabama politics podcast, uh, this is uh, this is the comment that our senator, our our senior senator, Mm-hmm. From the great state, our senior U.S. senator from the great state mm-hmm. of Alabama mm-hmm. uh, said on a podcast, I guess, with Don Jr., which, yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, whatever that's worth. Yeah. The COVID really brought it out how bad our schools are and how bad our teachers are in the inner city. Most of them in the inner city. I don't know how they got degrees, to be honest with you. I don't know whether they can read and write. They want to raise. They want less time to work, less time in school. Hmm. Now, I'd like to focus on one particular part here. The Most of them in the inner city. I don't know how they got degrees, to be honest with you. I don't right. know whether they can read and write. Right. Now, I'll point out, for context purposes, this is also a man who, on his way to the U.S. Senate, did not know what the three branches of government were. So, right. maybe right. a grain Let's, of salt. That's right. Stipulate that. Yeah. Let's stipulate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody who has a lot of nerve <laughs> evaluating the educational um, yes. achievements of others. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, right. just the sentence structure of the comments alone tells you that mm. we're not dealing with a super intelligent individual here. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, so obviously I hear this and as a black person who grew up in the inner city, right. inner city Chicago, even though I grew up middle class, I still grew up in the inner city. Mm-hmm. I hear this and I think, what a load of crazy, foolish just crap that is. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, to disparage a group of people, and I won't even get into the racial connotations because I think that's pretty obvious, but just to disparage a group of people like that, you know, uh, is astounding to me because there are people that teach in inner city schools, and I went to one, I went to a private inner city school. Educated people. Mm-hmm. They have degrees, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they go to reputable institutions of higher yes. learning. Yes, they do. I mean, what, what in the devil is this man talking about? Well, um, I don't think it, with, with respect to what you said about not getting into the racial connotations, I don't think that you can have the discussion about what he's talking about without talking about the racial aspect of this, because we know that the, the term inner city is a dog whistle for black. 
We know that. That's, that's what he's talking about. We know we know when he said inner city, what he wanted to say, what he wanted to say, but in 2023 is no longer allowed to say is these these black people. And, and you know, for some people, I'm not saying necessarily tough, people, but for some people, it would be the N word. Uh, we don't even know if they can read or write. They got teachers down there. We don't know, you know, whether they can read or write. Um, and, and that's what he was doing. That's what he was disparaging. He was he was playing up the racial aspect of this uh, for for cheap political points. Uh, well, that's what he was doing. Yeah. Okay. So I don't I don't disagree with you <clears throat> that that's that that's in part what he was doing. But the reason I wanted to set it aside for a minute is because I think even that sort of dog whistling, if mm-hmm. you know, it's it's easy to just sort of. Skim the surface with that and say, okay, that's what he's doing. But right. the reality is, not only are a lot of these people are educated, a lot of these people are white. They're yes. not even black. Right. Right. You know, but that's what I'm about teachers. Right. right. But he, he's, he's playing to an audience in the, yeah. in the sticks. Okay. Yeah. And I know that that is oversimplification of a lot of people that he's playing to, but he's playing to an audience in the sticks that don't, that aren't from Birmingham, uh, Mobile, Montgomery, Huntsville. You know, the, those, those are the inner cities. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, which is laughable to somebody who's lived right. you know, in Chicago. Oh, and a, oh yeah. believe me. Yeah. When I came down here, Josh, and I just, just, I interject this real quick on that point. When I came down here, as a as a as a college freshman in 1981, and they drove me around town and said, "Those are the the projects or the you know the federally subsidized housing." I was like, "Where? <laughs> Where? What, what are you talking about? What? Those? Yeah. Those are the, oh, That's what God. it is." I know, man. I have friends of mine in Decatur talking about, "Oh uh, yeah, yeah, man. You got you got to stay away from the hood in Decatur." I'm like, "What are you talking about? The hood in Decatur? What?" You mean that those two houses over there that were a little dilapidated? What are you talking right. about? You know, right. just shut up. You know, and it's just, oh, it's, it drives me nuts. But but that but that is uh, kind of a, an indication of the mindset that that Tuberville is playing to here. They're, these people mm. are unfamiliar with the makeup, the racial makeup. Uh, they're also unfamiliar with how high performing a lot of the schools in the inner city are. All they hear about are the problems that some school systems have or the things that, that work like in Montgomery for some school systems that have been perpetually underfunded and who deal with uh, an exorbitant amount percentage wise of special needs children that come into those schools because you have uh, in Montgomery, you have one of the highest rates of private education in the uh, in the country. Uh, For a period of time, Montgomery had more private schools per capita than anywhere else in the nation. Uh, I want to say it was for roughly 20 years they had that. Um, And and you'll be shocked to learn that they all started around 1955. Do you know of anything that was going on around 1955? Did it have something to do with a case called Brown v. Board? Might have, you know, it, it, might it have. sort of rings a bell. Yeah, I don't. Know. It might have, yeah, it is. Yeah. And and then and, and look, you can you can track it. it it's so it's a hilarious, man. You can track the start of a lot of these schools by by decisions that came from the courts about integration. It, it's 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 unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, Montgomery also has a very large magnet school program. Uh, now that magnet school program has produced the uh, for a period of time uh, the number one high school in the country. 
so, you know, and the number uh, and another top 10 high school in the country. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can't necessarily knock them. And they're also uh, about 50 percent free and reduced lunch. And you know, there's a there's a large number of minority students that make up those schools. But regardless of all that. So the, the the normal public schools that are there, the non-magnet schools and non-private schools in Montgomery, they've had removed from them. Uh, all of these kids that are that can afford to go to private schools, who parents are already involved in schools and who make public education kind of go around, and they've had the top thirty percent of the students and the uh, the smartest kids taken, you know, just vanished like a, there was a rapture of, of kids out of there, right. and so they're they're left with with kids that are in majority uh, poverty stricken homes, and a lot of them have learning disabilities, and mm-hmm. then and then. We come down on those teachers like they're not doing their damn jobs, you know, right. and it's just right. but regardless, well, those are the folks that Tucker was attacking. And most people don't have any idea about who they are and what goes into this suit that makes up public education in an inner city. And so it's easy to then to cast them as these inner city folks. So, and so here's my question, because I, you know, I didn't listen to the interview. I just read the the, uh, <clears throat> the media coverage about the interview. Um do we know, was this just sort of an off-the-cuff kind of throwaway comment or exchange between Trump and, and Tuberville, or, or do we think this was part of some uh, policy agenda? Uh, you know what? That is a good question. And let me, um, let me see if there, if there is any sort of an explanation. Um, I, I, it, I, it was part of what COVID revealed about about certain things. Hmm. Um, and you know what? I'll tell you, man. I I can't. I I honestly cannot describe how disappointing it is for Tommy to to listen to Tommy Tuberville behave in the way that he's behaved and hurt yeah. the people that he's hurt. And I've, I've talked to some of his former players and I'm not going to get into that because I, I consider some of them to be friends and, uh, and I'm not going to get into a private conversation that, you know, and identify people and things like that. But I know that they've been hurt by it too. Well, um, I think, I think that even started uh, with his candidacy. It I did. mean, as I recall, there were, there were some who were public about, you know, mm-hmm. basically, you know, they were listening to some of his campaign rhetoric or pre-campaign rhetoric, and they were, you know, basically saying, "What the hell? What? Yeah, who is this guy? This is not the guy that coached us." Yeah, it's so it's so remarkably, and this is what a lot of them have said. You know, not in so mm-hmm. many words. I'm going to put their words together and, and just say it. You know, in my own, uh, it, it's so remarkably disingenuous for uh, this person to behave this way who has gone and sat in those living rooms, who's gone in and out of those schools, who've talked to coaches, to those high school coaches and teachers and principals and assistant principals and counselors and, and know full well what so many of those kids are facing and what so many of those teachers are facing in those kids, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and, and and to then act that way about this just for just because you want to set up and, and be. Uh, glorified by the the con man family, uh, you know, the biggest group of fucking carnival barkers in the history of the country. Um, and and it, it's it is remarkably insulting to so many people. Um, and and I, let me tell you this. I'll tell you one of the most striking things to me has been the fact that not a single Republican state official 
in this state has denounced those comments. Not is that really shocking, one. though? Is Not, it really shocking? I'll say that it is kind of shocking to me. It is kind of shocking. I mean, Kay Ivey's a former school teacher. She's a former public school teacher who has talked about uh, the value of public education. There are, surprisingly or not, the, 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 there are a lot of pro-public education lawmakers out there. Um, you know, there, there are several uh, that, are, that have been out there that have handled a lot of things privately. They won't necessarily come out and say things publicly. But, uh, you know, I think we've talked, was us talking about Danny Garrett um, a representative that, that, that's in leadership in the House? And, and he... You know, he has been out in the front and, and killing some of these bills uh, that have come along uh, at, that, that take money away from public education and harm, would be harmful to public education. And has been very outspoken about a lot of the stuff. And there are a lot, of, especially in northwest Alabama uh, and then most of north Alabama altogether, there are a lot of very pro-public education people still. There's still a strong union presence in this part of the state. And that none of them have attacked this horse shit from this guy is really astounding. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me, though, because I think that's sort of the M.O. The M.O. is, uh, you know, what, what, what was Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment? Thou shall not criticize another Republican in public or something, some, some variation of that. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, they just, they're not going to speak up because they, there's no political upside to it. What's the upside for Katie Britt to get into a, a little tete-a-tete with well, uh, Tuberville over this or, or even Kay Ivey? Well, I think that is a perfect segue. Let's see, this is why we work so well. This is a perfect segue into what another thing that we wanted to talk about, which is uh-huh. I think that there could be a political upside to this, but the group that has control over that right now, the Alabama Education Association, the AEA in this state, you know, they've been vilified for years and was down and has made somewhat of a comeback over the last couple of years. Uh, and, and who I've praised uh, for doing a good job of plugging holes in the dam uh, and, and trying to stop a lot of this stuff, the creeping school choice bullshit and all that kind of thing. I, I think that it's, they've done a pretty good job of trying to stop some of that. Uh, but I don't think the tactics that they've taken are going to work long term on this. Uh, this right here is is creeping, and you're talking about losing hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think that the only way you're going to fight it is you have got to rally the school teachers against this shit. You've got to rally the school teachers. And I don't. If you did that, and you that's the that's the largest voting block in this state by a, by a mile. Are, are public school teachers and employees. And if you could get them, I'm not saying you got to vote for Democrats. Okay. I'm not saying that. I, I, I wish you would. Uh, but if you voted for pro-education Republicans, if you gave Republicans a reason, some of these folks that, that do love public education to stand up and fight for you and to say, here are the votes that we can protect you in these primaries. Um, then then you you would have something there, but I you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to plug the holes are too big when it comes to getting sixty nine hundred dollars and all. The, you see all the bills all around the country. It's coming for here, and if they don't change the tactics out of this and give some Republicans a reason to say we are standing with these with these teachers, mm-hmm. I, they're they're doomed. Well, okay, so what we're talking about is these education savings accounts, right? Yes. That's yes. what we're talking about. Yes. And uh, they they run the packages, according to what I see here, 
run from <clears throat> as low as $5,000 packages to $6,900 packages. Right. And, and, and this is a way for families to, to basically take the money, as I understand it, to take the money that would have been allocated to their child had that child attended a public school and instead uh, that money be accessed directly by the parents and put into what they're calling an education savings account. So right. it's a way to siphon off public money uh, and divert it and use it to put into invest in private schools through tuition and so forth. So I agree with you that that the best way to fight this and perhaps the only way to fight it is to is to for the AEA to really rally teachers on this. But I think the challenge is, and, and you, you, you may agree, you may not, I don't know, but I think the challenge is going to be that we've been having this school choice debate. I mean, they laid the groundwork for this, I, what, five, ten years ago, something like that? We've been having variations of this debate for quite a while in this state. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think the, the problem is now you've not only got, you know, this used to be a strictly... This used to be strictly a a a racial sort of segregation problem mm-hmm. where you know we we could look at it in terms of oh it's the white parents that are siphoning off money uh from the public schools that are going to be uh predominantly black and in poor areas so forth and so mm-hmm. on that's still true but but the problem now is i think there are a lot of uh, or at least one problem is there are a lot of church run black black church run mm-hmm. private schools mm-hmm. who will also potentially benefit from this yeah and yeah, so but i, don't, I, I think, I don't think a, it's, a, the, the, the the matrix is a little more complicated now well i think yeah to a to a degree but i, I don't i don't know that there's enough of uh, uh, percentage wise uh, enough of the black run private schools um, you know, to make a, a real serious dent in any effort to to curtail that. You know what? What I've always argued is, if you want to talk to me about school choice, okay, let's talk about school choice. All right, I will support a school choice bill if it is real school choice. If you want to tell me we're gonna we're gonna let you go to any school in the county that you want to go to. Uh, you know, you pick out whichever one serves you the best. Uh, if you are free and reduced lunch, we will provide you transportation to that school. Um, at, at no charge, no additional charge for you, uh, then I am all for your school choice bills. All right. But this isn't school choice. This is paying people who are already in private schools, uh, uh, giving them a tax break. That's all it is. These are people mm-hmm. that are already there because the $6,900, it, it isn't going to pay the full tuition at hardly any school. All right. You're at, at most every school out there, you're still going to be short two or $3,000 for the year. Um, and, and it's, it's not going to make that up plus, you know, whatever transportation that you, you have to incur to get your child to the new school because there's no transportation going to be allowed. So that's not going to make up the difference for that for 90% of the kids out there, uh, that, that would like to go to some other school. And if I, to me, um, you're, you're right in that, um, that we started this thing with the AAA Act several years ago. But what the AAA Act has showed us is that there's not a lot of willingness of people out there to go to to a private school. 
All right. Most people in a lot of counties, they like their public schools. And that's one of the arguments that has been against this bill is these folks that, that are in all of these counties around the state that are perfectly happy. Washington County comes to mind, for example, uh, you know, that fought so hard against the charter school down there last year. Uh, you know, that is a predominantly white county. And that county fought like hell against a charter school coming in there because they loved their public school system. They had their, their public school system had struggled for a long time. They had lifted it up over the course of a number of years and they fought to keep uh, the charter schools out and private schools out. So that county, you're going to ask the people of that county to contribute to a fund that's going to send some kid elsewhere in the state to a private school. And I don't think most people find that fair and you can equate it to any other system of our government in which we all chip in for and people who use a private service asking for money to pay for the private service. I mean, well, it, I, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I'm not saying that it's fair and I'm not saying I support it because I don't, but I do right. think I, I continue to believe Josh based uh, on what I see here in Huntsville, that, that, that you've got a complicating factor here with especially uh, black church operated Schools, mm -hmm. because there are a number of them here in town, here in Huntsville. Mm -hmm. Right, there are a number of them, and some of them have been around for decades. Oh yeah, no, listen, and, I'm not saying that some that's of them not true. Are, yeah, and, and, and some of them are, and some of them are struggling enough that I think the the appeal of this, you know, is going to be strong to those parents and and to those um and to you know and to those who are in these churches who really support this so yeah. uh, when i say support this i mean support uh the schools they they may not necessarily have been on the side of this side of school choice before right. but i think this opens up an opportunity for them to to change their position i i don't i don't necessarily disagree with that I, and um and i and because i don't I, I don't think of this as strictly a racial issue. I think there mm -hmm. are in a number of places there are, there are a lot of racial components to it, and we know that we know that for a fact. Uh, but um, to me, this is a public education issue, mm -hmm. and you know if you believe in the public education system that we have, and you believe it could be better, you know you can identify the problems in in our school system throughout the state, and and being able to send a kid to a private school isn't isn't the solution. Uh, to the to these problems. And if you if I'm saying if we don't figure out the folks who, like me, love public education and teachers and, and stuff and, and feel like that's the saving grace for this state, that's the only chance we got here. I, I, I you know, you've got to rally them. You've got to rally those people and, and produce a voting block of, of folks that's going to go out and make a difference in these elections for people and show that there are consequences for turning your back on the public education funding, uh, public educators in general, and and to make sure that the, the Republicans in our legislature understand that there's going to be a consequence for this. Well, I, I mean, I hope I hope that 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 uh, the AEA will do what you're saying. I'm. I'm on your side in wanting right. to see that, but I'm just saying I think some of their traditional support is being eroded. That's my yeah. point. Well, yeah, they still got they've still got the teachers, and you know, and and I understand exactly what you're saying. You're right, is this has creeped into a lot of different places, uh, and you know, and, and allowed for private schools and for for folks to run some charter schools and things like that. Uh, it's caused uh, some erosion of of the traditional. 
um, I, I guess, protest against it, uh, you know, that would be there and the support against it. But I still think if you my biggest issue is this, the way they've been going about it now has been kind of a under the radar uh, let's get some secret support from Republicans to craft, you know, to to kind of, you know, uh, lay in the weeds and kill these bills by virtue of, oh, we ran out of time or, oh, we just didn't have time to get to this or this needed to be done first and we needed to change this. You know, they've been able to do it through the legislative process quietly uh, and not draw a lot of attention to themselves. I don't think that's going to last anymore. Uh, and you're, if you want to fight this, if you want to fight the hundreds of millions of dollars going out of this, out of your school systems, um, then you're and, and the loss of what if I'm not mistaken, this, this price act, which was a relatively small thing to, to start with, um, just it by itself, just under the current uh, uh, under the current structure of it with the current kids that are already going to private school, they were going to lose something like three thousand teachers mm. across the state That's by the lo- this loss of funding. I mean, yeah, so, uh, mm. come on, man. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. and you're, yeah, and you're, and yeah. we're sending all of this money to unregulated businesses out there, private businesses mm-hmm. that were, that aren't going to be held to the same standards. And it's, it's, it's idiocy. And if we oh, can't yeah. rally people for this, we've got, we've got bigger problems than that. Man. Well, without question. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a movement that needs to be stopped. And I yes. hope again, you know, that you're right, that they will, see that for what it is and that they will take that kind of action uh, talking about the AEA right. and I hope they succeed because it's a movement that needs to stop righty, we're going to slide out of here we'll be back in just a minute with Alabama Arises Robin Hyden uh, Alabama Politics This Week back in a second Hey uh, if y'all would do us a favor and uh, go to, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review our little podcast here. Uh, that would be very, very helpful for us. Uh, you know, people might pay us to do this. Uh, you never know. Yeah, but yeah, but let's not stop at Apple. Also, uh, you can do the same thing on Google Play, Amazon, yeah. and some of the more Android friendly, uh, you know, platforms uh, as well. I forget that Dave is an Android guy. I am. <laughs> Me, I'm a conformist. And so, you know, go to Apple. But seriously, wherever you go, just do it. Just, just go and, and rate and review, and, and that would be very nice. Unless you're going to leave a bad one. Don't do, don't do that. Just don't, 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 don't leave a bad one. Thank you. Welcome back to Alabama Politics This Week. David Person, Josh Moon, and... I am really excited about our guest today. Uh, She is the CEO of one of the most important nonprofits in our state. And I don't say that cavalierly. I think Alabama Arise is essential to the well-being of this state and has been standing on the right side of many issues for decades now. So it is a pleasure to have Robin Hyden on with us. Uh, Robin, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. It's day 29 of the legislative session. I joked with our staff, we need to take a first day versus last day photo of how much we've all aged in these, you know, three months. But all things considered, it's, we've had a really good positive session. And let me just say, I'm thrilled to be on your podcast. I follow and love both of you. And David, I used to love coming on your radio show all the time. So um, I feel like you're always 
recording conversations that I wish I could have. So I just want to give you major kudos that I'm very picky about which podcast I listen to. And I have listened to every episode. So thank you for awesome. having me on. Well, we we now think way less of you that, that we're on the list. I got to tell you. Uh, and especially now that you know the behind the scenes soup on what goes on in the production of this thing. I mean, whoa, that's a, she's deleting that off the list all of a sudden. Yeah. So Robin, uh despite Josh's uh dubious uh <laughs> characterization there, uh welcome. And and uh and let me uh let me let me start by uh asking you just for those who don't know uh who or what Alabama Arise is, just kind of sketch it out for us. Arise is a statewide citizen lobbying group, period, point blank. We were founded 35 years ago to lobby for poor folks, and we take our commitment seriously. Um, The first person we ever hired was a lobbyist. The second person was a community organizer. So if you look at who Arise is now, we have 150 member groups around the state. They are faith-based, nonprofit, and civic groups, thousands of individual members. And our members are united in our belief that People in poverty are struggling in Alabama because of decisions made right here in Montgomery. If we want to have better outcomes, we have to be at the table where the decisions are being made. So our goal at Arise is to connect regular everyday working class folks to the policies that matter to them. And we do that by, you know, we go out and listen very intentionally every summer. Uh, We do listening sessions with our organizing team. If you're interested in this, you can reach out to us and we'd love to come listen to what you and your community group really feel is important. Um, Our member groups bring policy proposals to us and our members and we vote on what are the top seven issues that our state needs to address every session. And then we come to the legislative session prepared to say, we've got to get this done. And so the core issues that we've fought on for, you know, years are expanding access to health care. Um, making our tax code more fair, improving our criminal justice system and voting rights, all of the things that help people in poverty and people who are struggling economically be able to make their lives better, either by self-determination at the polls, by access to more resources and support, um, or by making systems that are really unfair and unjust a little bit more fair. So that's what we're about. Love it. And uh, two of the things that I really love about Alabama arise is that, first of all, you have this very democratic process that you've just described in terms of determining what your priorities would be each year. And then secondly, that you don't let, and and this wasn't embedded in what you said, but I'm going to say it, you don't let the politics, the, 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 uh, the political machinations of Montgomery to discourage you. You you each year you come back and you say, no, we're not giving up on this grocery tax idea. You know, you've been championing Arise has been championing the grocery tax for probably 20 years, at least if I can, if I, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, or at least 15. And, and and you guys have been doggedly determined on that. I mean, I just that that's one of the things that impresses me so much about Arise. So since I brought up the grocery tax. Uh, let's go ahead and take a look at where things stand currently as of today. And this is Thursday, June the 1st, just as a marker. Well, thank you. I mean, I will say dogged determination is one of our values. And 
there are times when people kind of laugh at you when you're in Montgomery and they're like, that's never going to happen. No way, no how. And then you look up and the winds change and suddenly it's the right time. And I think the grocery tax is a great example of that issue. I have wondered about the grocery tax ever since I learned about it. I joined a rise as a member, you know, probably 15 years ago. And it had never occurred to me that this is really stupid. Um, if you grow up in Alabama, if you don't leave, you may not know that we're one of only three states that still fully taxes groceries. It is an outcome of our state not prioritizing um, fair taxation. You know, we don't have enough tax revenue from wealthier folks or corporations, and we got to make up for it somewhere. So where is it going to go? It's going to come from your pocketbook when you buy groceries. So this year, um, several things have happened that have made it possible for us to now be right up probably within the next hours of today passing a grocery tax cut, the first bill that we've really been able to move in more than 15 years. Um, and this bill would only cut 2% of our state's 4% grocery tax. It would do that over three years. So it would only be one cent this year and one cent in two years. And, and that second cut would rely on how well our education budget continues to grow. Um, but the reason this is possible is because the education trust fund has more revenue than it has ever had. You know, we've seen extraordinary federal investments um, that have really boosted our economy and inflation as well. That is driving all of this revenue to the education budget. And we have said for years that it would be irresponsible to cut this revenue with no replacement because, you know, as I said earlier, we got to fund our state government somehow. And this grocery tax brings in a lot of money to fund education. Our sales taxes are earmarked for education. So... We didn't want to see education just losing hundreds of millions of dollars with no replacement. So this is really a compromise bill. Uh, I will give full credit to Lieutenant Governor Will Ainsworth, who made this a priority and really showed a lot of leadership. I have been wondering for years why more elected officials wouldn't make this a big campaign issue. You know, it's so popular. Um, but also, I will credit our members and just folks, constituents across the state who for years have said this is the populist issue. If you want something that will make uh, Alabamians across the board happier with state government, this would be top of the list. And I'm excited to say that the bill passed the House last Thursday. Um, that was in May, uh, you know, 103 to zero. And it will likely pass the Senate today as well. Although, knock on wood, you know, if something changes, you got to edit this in post because we always get paranoid. We've been here before at the finish line with this bill. Um, everyone who's lobbied with a rise going back to 2008, they remember when we were within one vote of passing in the House. So just, you know, fingers crossed you've got us right at the finish line that um, this is a big step. And the other big thing in this bill is it actually enables municipalities and counties to also cut their grocery tax. That's one of the contentious things that might get cut out, you know, on the negotiating table today. Um, but that's a huge step forward. You know, uh, counties and municipalities also fund education through the grocery tax. So it's a decision that is not easy for them to make as well. But them having the ability to make it is a big deal. Um, you know, and just I can't say enough how, how much we hope that the legislature will come back next year and finish the job. They have established a study commission, joint study commission, Senate and House, to look at how are we going to take away the full 4% and how are we going to pay for that? Because it is $600 million to cut the whole grocery tax. Just to cut one cent is $150 million. So we're thinking about 
cutting 150 million this year, cutting 150 million in two years. What is the economy going to look like over the next several years? And is our education budget going to continue to grow? That is uncertain. So we'd love to come back and find more ways to finish the job. Well, that's that's great. Thanks for that analysis. And I don't know if you noticed the smile that crossed Josh's face when you mentioned his boy, uh, Will Ainsworth. He was very pleased to see Will get some props in this. So uh, go ahead, <laughs> yeah, Josh. You know, listen, I know you want to jump in now. Listen, I, I'm only friends with people who, who get things done, okay? That's, uh, that's the reason why David and I are friends. Uh, and listen, and don't worry about anything that needs to be edited out in post. I'm not even sure we're recording this. Uh, so um, it's uh, – uh, listen, you're you're. First of all, uh, you're right about the, the length of time. When I first met John Knight, a uh, long time Montgomery representative, was uh, uh, over at ASU for a number of years. Uh, I, I met him in I think I want to say 2005 or so. He was he was pushing this grocery tax bill, uh, and and he had picked it up from I believe Alvin Holmes or somebody else prior. Um, and so this thing has been around. It's it's hilarious to me to watch Republicans act as though they've discovered gold with this thing. Oh, look at this. Look at this. You know, like, man, what are you talking about? Uh, it's been here for years. Uh, and uh, but first of all, I wanted to say that there has been there's always somebody standing in the way of this, of these sorts of things. That's the way it always seems. And, and it's, it's amazing to me how you can get one hundred and three to zero and all, all 30 some odd senators signing on to the jacket for this thing. And uh, and then there's Arthur Orr standing over in a corner uh, just waiting to trounce on, on this thing. And um, so I guess first, how much do you hate Arthur Orr? Uh, and then second, um, uh, no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm not going to ask you to do that. Uh, but no, how hard is it to go through a session? I mean, because I, I know for me, it, it drives me crazy. And I'm not a lobbying group lobbying for uh, the poor people. I mean, I do a lot of lobbying in print for poor people and working folks and stuff. But I, I'm not... I'm, that's not my day to day. I'm not talking to them every day and saying, what do you need? What do you want? What, you know, what, what do you desperately need? So how hard is it to, to walk, to continuously walk these things all the way up to the line? Um, even a bill like this where it's, Hey, let's repeal the grocery tax. Yes, let's do that. Oh, but wait, only half of it. And you only half of that this year. And then another half, maybe in a couple of years, you know, is it, does, can you sleep at night? I mean, is it, is it frustrating? Is it, is it, you know, I mean, does it drive you insane? I will acknowledge there's probably a per personality type that you must have to be a progressive policy advocate in Alabama. Um, and just like there's a personality type you have to be to be a journalist who stays up until 2 a.m. covering the state house. I don't know how y'all do that. But regardless, you just have something in your blood that's like, I just can't stop. I'm obsessed with this thing, even if it takes 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, like I know my timeline is long and it's worth the fight. So there have there are definitely folks on our staff who have just been like, I just can't deal with this. Like, you know, after we lost the grocery tax back in 2008, I remember the organizer that preceded me at Arise said, I just couldn't believe that we we're going to come back and have to fight this whole thing again. Yeah. And, you know, that was yes. 15 years ago. Um, the thing that I find a saving grace is knowing, one, democracy, representative democracy is not supposed to be quick or easy. It is designed, the process is designed so that you can't just have one person exert their will. And that's for very good reason, as we've seen for a lot of bills that we also stop every year, we have to fight bad stuff too. Um, you have to convince, you know, 
105 unique individuals from 105 unique constituencies, 35 senators from very different constituencies. And yeah, it sucks. It's frustrating. The other thing I'll say about Senator Orr, I think he is consistent. You mentioned, you know, you felt that he has been opposing this bill and the uh, overtime, untaxed mm-hmm. overtime bill. And what I will say is he has consistently raised concerns about a all of the tax uh, cuts this session. And there's something about that that I respect, right? It's consistent. I know where he's coming from. He's coming from, we've got to protect our education budget. Now, where we might differ is that I feel like, hey, if you're going to like not blink about giving away 30 million to Corporation X, 60 million to private school, you know, um, voucher Y, Mm -hmm. you know, working folks, uh, like we're at the table, like you've got to make sure that we're not just here to serve corporate interests. So, and, and with respect, I, I have heard Senator Orr speak to the fact that we give away too much to corporations, which is another issue that I think, Hey, you know what? You got to be consistent about all of these yeah. giveaways. So, well, I mean, there's, a, there's like, a ton gotta, of yeah. money. There's a ton <laughs> of money in this budget that's given away to a lot of different things, you know, uh, and to me, I, I understand what you're saying about about or, um, you know, and the perception. I, I think I'll say that I think Arthur Orr does a good job of presenting a facade of consistency. Uh, but at, at the same time, he also uh, is very, very willing to make a lot of concessions um, uh, on that budget to a number of different things that when you total them up with it it makes some of these things seem very paltry. Um, and, but that's just my, my opinion. Um, so I wanted to, to, to move just off the grocery tax for a little bit, because I know another fight that you, you've also had. And I know, I, and I, I was under the impression having talked to uh, some folks at Blue Cross Blue Shield um, who, who I know and like a lot um, that there, there was going to be an effort of some sorts to move the state Maybe not to Medicaid expansion uh, like we've seen in other places, but to some sort of rural health care initiative or, you know, an expansion of services uh, that that would look a lot like Medicaid expansion, even if we don't call it that. So we don't have to give the former black president any credit. Uh, So, you know, but it was going to be something along those lines. I know y'all are intricately involved in that. Where do you feel like that stands? And do you foresee any way, shape, or form that in the next few years we're going to get to a place where we can finally do some sort of expansion? I will say we we absolutely want to see Medicaid expanded at Arise. And we have always said that it's not really the legislature's job. That's actually the governor's job to do. And she has full executive authority to do that. A lot of other states came in and said, "Mm -mm, not going to let the governor do it. So they were in like North Carolina, for example, they had blocked their Democratic governor's ability to expand. Um, We're not in that situation. So I don't know exactly what Blue Cross is working on, but I do believe that any plan that the governor wants to implement to close the health coverage gap, she can do that. 
the numbers that we have analyzed and we've worked, you know, Parker put out a great report that was independent as well. The hospitals have put out multiple reports as well, show that we could fully fund Medicaid expansion for at least six years without a single extra dollar from the general fund. So this concern that like the legislature is going to have to come in and appropriate more money. Mm-hmm. If you look at our Medicaid budget consistently over the past three years during COVID and after COVID, we've had a Medicaid surplus because of all the influx of federal dollars. The surplus by itself was enough to pay for the expansion population and in fact, save money. Um, similarly, you know, now that the COVID public health emergency has ended, there is still an economic incentive. There will be more federal dollars coming if we expand Medicaid. So, you know, we continue to say it's Governor Ivey's job. We're going to educate as many lawmakers as we can. The thing that I find very positive, I've been working on Medicaid expansion for more than 10 years now. I came on board as an Arise organizer in 2013, and my job was just to go around the state and talk to folks about the Affordable Care Act. There were so many misconceptions. There still are. I think that we've gotten past a lot of the worst misconceptions. I think there's a deep um, hatred and distrust of federal programs unfortunately, that our state needs to get over because we're the biggest beneficiaries of those programs. (laughs) You know, we get the most federal money to support Medicaid of almost any state. Um, I just saw recently that, you know, states like Alabama deeply have some of the higher percentages of people on Medicaid SNAP than blue states. This is your son this is the employee that you're struggling to retain at the fast food chain or at the small local business because they have an untreated mental illness. They have a substance use disorder. They can't get their diabetes medication, whatever that thing is. This is just real common sense kitchen table stuff. Yeah. We do uh, convene the Cover Alabama Coalition, and I would love for folks who are interested to visit us online at coveralabama.org. You can join us as a table partner. You can find all kinds of resources there. Um, we've started running some radio ads and some billboards that just say Medicaid expansion helps workers close the coverage gap to help Alabama workers, because we know that we have a worker shortage in our state um, and a lack of access to health care is part of the reason why. <clears throat> Last thing from from me uh, real quick. Um, it, you know, I mentioned Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, there, there are other companies out there that we tend to call big mules, uh, you know, Alabama Power, Regions Bank, uh, Power South, some some of these other folks that have been around the state. Um, I, I wonder, you know, we, we seem to be over the course of the last several years, ever since Republicans took over and they started really gerrymandering up the maps and stuff. And, um, and you know, and, and they can say whatever they want. I know maps are gerrymandered in, in Democratic states as well, and I hate all of it. I, you know, I think there ought to be an independent commission to do it all, uh, you know, that we can all agree on and make them fair, and whoever wins, wins. But that, is, that argument aside, uh, we've been moving farther and farther and farther to the right uh, on a lot of different issues to the point where you, you a lot of folks now running for office, especially in the House, uh, they, they can ignore completely sane progressive ideas and just focus on whatever nonsense, you know, migrant caravan that Fox News is talking about uh, that day uh, because we're a border state. Now and you know and and so we we can ignore the everyday things that happen here for the most part and those folks can still get elected and I, I've heard a lot of people say 
uh, or suggest that we need we need somebody to get behind this. And it's always been my opinion that the if it's ever going to work here, it's going to have to come from those businesses uh, that they are. They see what's happening and they don't like it. Uh, they don't like what what's happening. They don't they don't like the fact that uh, the overtime tax repeal bill is is suffering and, and may, may not pass. They didn't like you know they were fairly supportive of of the uh, grocery tax cut. They they don't like a lot of the transgender bills and the uh, and the things like that that embarrass them. Uh, they don't like a lot of things that hurt. Uh, and they're also very supportive of Medicaid expansion uh, privately. I wonder since you're there all the time working. With, with these folks and they have their lobbyists and they have their people that are there and you know where the money flows and things. Have you seen a shift at all in those people and their willingness to get more involved on stopping a lot of this ridiculous, a lot of these ridiculous ideas and promoting things like that y'all support that we all know are what's best for the state? I have to be careful here. I, there I'm are sure. don't 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 hurt yourself that. at all, please. Don't <laughs> no. I'm, I'm serious, I, and I don't mean that like and facetiously. Don't don't put yourself in a bad position. Just generalize it. Generalize it as far as you want to generalize it. I, I'm fine with that. I think we have to realize that corporations will not save us. Those lobbyists who go to lobby for big mules, they have they are there to protect their bottom line, sure. and that's their job. That's the corporate, you know. Um, they are accountable to their shareholders. Similarly, advocates, we are accountable to the people. Mm-hmm. There are times when I do see corporate interest aligning to support good governance ideas, and that is great. But I don't see them being at the driving impetus of the ones saying, no, we've got to make it happen. Um, right. So I do feel like there is some tension. The other observation I have is any time you have a supermajority, the supermajority itself has these factions. There is a more populist faction um, and there is a more corporate friendly faction. And there are times when we are siding with the corporate friendly faction on some good governance issues that align with us. There's other times when we're siding with the more populist folks who are willing to take a more libertarian position um, or, you know, just, and it, and finding those anyone who wants to get involved in policy, you have to find those wedge issues because the supermajority itself, you know, there's a lot of diverse interest in there. Yeah. I do. It is fascinating to see these kind of anti, you know, anti-woke corporation uh, diatribes happening. The idea that just because corporations understand and acknowledge that diversity and inclusion is a good thing, we're now turning on them. Right. Um, you know, and there are times, absolutely. I think their major tax reform in our state cannot happen without corporate support, Uh, you know, and that happened during amendment one, there were a lot of corporate leaders who came together and said, you know, our state can't move forward unless and until we fix these revenue issues. It failed. Um, the gas tax passed because corporations said we got to build roads and bridges. Guess what? I agree. We can't have a functional state without funding our roads and bridges. Um, So, you know, as we look ahead to what might happen three to five years down the road when suddenly, oh, the education revenue is not coming in anymore, that is going to be an issue that businesses should be concerned about. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That we're not funding schools. We're sometimes last or second to last in a lot of education and health and other indicators. And we are not as competitive. And our our citizens are not uh, 
really a good customer base <laughs> if we're not more well-educated and healthy. Robin, um, it's been such a pleasure to have you on today. Uh, you've given us some real good analysis, as I said earlier. Uh, for folks who want to really plug into what ARISE is doing, ARISE is doing, um, what, what, how can they reach you and how can they learn more about you? Please visit us online at alarise.org. That's A-L-A-R-I-S-E dot O-R-G. You can join us as a member. You can sign up for free uh, action alerts and email updates. You know, if you want to get more engaged as a member, we have an annual meeting coming up in September. We're doing a bunch of summer listening sessions. Uh, We do a lobby day every year. So there's a lot of opportunities for you to just come out and get to know us more. Great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. I really appreciate you spending some time and and giving us some hope. Uh, You know, it's it's always nice to have hope. And uh, and we really appreciate you guys doing what you do and um, and and making sure that uh, uh, the the little folks out here all over the state have a voice in Montgomery. And, you know, it's nice to know that somebody else is also banging their head against that wall. Um, Well, I just heard that the grocery tax bill is up first now on the special Senate special order calendar. So I'm going to run on over there and hopefully we have some good news. All (laughs) right. Yeah. Go do, go do good work. Thank you so much. God's work. Yeah. Thank y'all. Take care. Take care, Robin. All righty. We're going to slide out of here. We'll come back in just a minute to wrap this thing up. Alabama politics this week. Back in a minute. If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama politics this week. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out with ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, Your support makes a difference and it means a lot. Alrighty, welcome back. Alabama politics this week. Josh Moon, David Person. Really appreciate Robin Hyden coming on and uh oh, yeah. spreading information and and a little hope and uh and I know that they are they are busy over there. And uh, uh listen, uh if you've got questions, uh you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can get us at APWproducer at gmail.com. It's APWproducer at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to send us uh, you know, uh, coupons for Viagra, uh you can do that as well. Oh, wait address. a minute. What? That's uh yeah, apparently you missed that email the other day uh so yeah it's uh listen whatever that's fine you know send it to us yeah i know it's uh why viagra specifically Uh, i don't know if it was necessarily viagra it was just some sort of uh, appeals um yeah and uh so i you know i don't know man i don't know i don't know what's going on uh but uh it you know, we, we appreciate all of your support, as it were. Uh, and if you would like to uh, leave us a review, you can do that at uh, uh, Apple Podcasts. And, uh, you know, uh, we would appreciate it. Rate us, rate us up and uh, yeah. let us know. Um, all right. Uh, let's get into this last one here. Um, and we mentioned them during the interview with Robin. But our right wing note of the week is going to be our Senator Arthur Orr, mm-hmm. uh, who has been 
uh, quite a thorn in the side of, of the good people uh, trying to give tax breaks to the working man in this state um, and, and the poor folks of this state, for that matter, mm-hmm. um, and all folks of this state, I guess. Um, uh, but especially the hourly wage workers and, and everybody who buys groceries. Uh, mm-hmm. Arthur Orr has been uh, standing in the uh, tax cut door. Um, you know, shielding it, uh, shielding the education trust fund, even though, even as he tried to come up with his own $500 million slush fund, uh, right. that he tried to create. Um, can you, know, you, it, can you take I'm, a minute though and explain how he's blocking it just so folks will know, you know, how yeah, he's able to do that and, and, and so forth? So, uh, he is, he controls the, he is the chairman of the Senate Taxation and Finance Committee. And mm-hmm. all of the bills that are going to deal with, uh, with, with anything to do with the education trust fund, all of those bills are going to go through his committee. So, uh, Anthony, Speaker Anthony Daniels, or I mean, uh, House Minority, and mm-hmm. <laughs> looking at me, Wishful trying, thinking, trying to put, yeah. the, put, put the Democrats in charge, uh, uh, House Minority Leader Anthony Daniels, um, with a co-sponsor from the House Speaker. Uh, Nathaniel Ledbetter uh, came up with this overtime uh, tax repeal bill uh, that removes the tax, the state tax of 5% from all overtime pay. Uh, That bill passed the House easily. Uh, It went into the Senate where it immediately got held up because, I mean, this thing passed the House weeks ago, uh, but it got held up in the Senate because it has to go through Orr's committee and Orr controls what gets on the agenda of his committee. And so he held it up and held it up and held it up and held it up for weeks until there was enough pressure put on him through a number of different business groups and other people around the state uh, to put it on the agenda. He finally put it on the agenda yesterday, but not before he put an amendment to the bill. Uh, attached to amendment and convinced his Republican colleagues on that committee to go along with him, which capped uh, the amount that you could have tax-free at $2,000, which roughly, as Bobby Singleton points out, works out to about an hour's worth of overtime per week for uh, an employee, which mm-hmm. is bullshit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The fiscal note on this bill says uh, this thing could cost $45 million from the Education Trust Fund. It is a drop in the bucket. First of all, it's not going to cost $45 million. It could cost, but I think everybody knows. And I'll say this, there's a major corporation in this state that was talking about using this thing as a lure to bring employees in from other states. And they're talking about hiring 3,600 people over the course of the next three years, Hmm. which is going to more than offset whatever losses you're going to have there. So. Uh, and, and there'll be other businesses, Toyota, Mazda, and all these other places that are competing with surrounding states for employees to come and work in low, in, in high paying jobs. Uh, they they will use this as a lure to get folks in and to so, go there because you know you work an extra you work an extra hours on the weekend. As they explained to me, Austell, for example, most of their hourly people work yeah. uh, four four by tens. Uh, so they work for Monday through Thursday, 10 hour days, and mm-hmm. they have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Now mm-hmm. they're, they're short on workers. And so there are a number of opportunities for them to work through the weekend, but not many do. If you could all of a sudden say, Hey, we're going to give you the extra, the time and a half plus an extra 5% on top of that. You don't get any taxes off of it. Well, those guys are probably some more folks are probably going to sign up, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so, so with all of that being said, all right, yeah. you, you, you described for us how Arthur Orr is, functionally able to block this because of his role as the chair of the uh, of the committee. Uh-huh. Why? What's his rationale? Why is he doing it? It's good. It sounds like it's good for business. Yep. It would be good for taxpayers. What, yes. What's the what's what's his beef? 
Well, I, you know, and, and as you said, and I wrote a story for today that quoted uh, the Business Council of Alabama, uh, Austell, uh, the Hospital Association, uh, the AFL-CIO head. Uh, so you've got uh, mayors, you've got mayors, uh, union leaders, uh, businesses, the business council. Uh, you've got all these people that are saying this is a great bill for everybody here. Right. Okay. His stated beef in the committee was that he was worried about the trust fund. He's worried about this taking too much money out of the trust fund. It's nonsense. It's not, you know, everybody knows that that's not true. I'll tell you, privately, several lawmakers have said that his real beef here is the fact that, number one, it was not his idea. Oh, come and on. So and I, I promise you that's what they've told me. Uh, uh, and, I, and when I say lawmakers, I do not mean Anthony Daniels. I mean, yeah. uh, this has come to me from two different Republicans. Uh, oh. Okay. Uh, okay. So, okay. and... Uh, and one of them I'll say is a senator. So, um, yeah. but, uh, in, you know, in addition to that, uh, there has been also a fight with him and the, and folks on the grocery tax. And a lot of that has come, uh, you know, he's taken a lot of heat over his position on the grocery tax bill too, cause he stood in the way of that thing as well. Um, and, um, you know, now that that will take a, you know, a pretty big chunk. That's how you're talking about $150 million out of the education trust fund. Okay. So it, Everybody could understand his hesitancy on that. And I think he got a lot of uh, folks on his side talking about that as well. Mm. Uh, but I believe that he is trying also with, with what's going on after this. He got mad at, at Daniels uh, over some things that were said uh, and some other people. And so he, this is retribution. This is personal retribution for some of the things that were said, I, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'll say this: I don't just believe that out of the blue. Some people have told me yeah, that that's yeah. what that that's what's going on uh, here. So, that the, he's he's taking it out. He told people he's coming for Anthony Daniels' bill, and he's going to do everything he can to gut it. So, so what you so basically you're telling me this is all personal. Yeah, he's in his feelings. It's a personal thing. So. He's yeah, he's in, he's in his feelings, uh, as they as the kids say, and yeah. uh, and those feelings are going to end up costing uh, working people of the state who could use you know a little extra cash on the table at the end of the month. Man, if and that's true, that is just such garbage. It's uh, I mean, that's just I'll garbage. Say it's uh, it is not out of line of the character of the person that's doing it. See, I don't I don't so, know him. I I I think I've been around him like years ago, but I don't. I don't know him. I don't. And I think the time I was around him, I just don't remember much about him. Mm-hmm. That's really disappointing. Yeah. It, uh, um, it's. Um, man, I, you know, I, I'll say that uh, for me, I, I, I don't I don't know Arthur or personally either. Uh, I think I've had two conversations with him and he probably doesn't remember either one of them. And to be mm-hmm. quite honest, I don't remember uh, exactly what was said in either one of them either. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not nothing conversations. Uh, but um, I'll say that uh, having been around him, having been around his work for a while, he is probably one of the more harmful legislators that I've ever been around. Um, and, well, that's, and that's I, a pretty serious, that's a strong statement, yeah, Josh. I, I think that he, he does a lot of things from a personal viewpoint that is um, very close-minded and very mm-hmm. self-serving um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And that has been, that is my opinion. 
uh, of his work history. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like I said, I don't know him as an individual at all. Uh, I do know a little bit about his time. I know he spent some time in the Peace Corps and some other things. And so you would think that there would be a lot more um, empathy. Sympathy. Yes, the empathy, sympathy. Um, there would be a lot more uh, of of you. Know, you'd almost expect him to be a, a Democrat. Uh, you know, a more liberal individual uh, who went out of his way to help people, and that has mm-hmm. not typically been the case. It has been a very um, uh, you know. It, it seems to me he's gone out of his way to serve himself uh, in a lot of mm-hmm. ways uh, while there, and to make sure that certain things benefit him and his friends, uh, and. I'll say this uh, as well. I think that you will find, and you, you can test me on this and, and call around to, to the people that you know in the legislature. I know you know a ton of them as well. Um, and ask them if they like Arthur Orr. And I would bet you that the overwhelming majority of responses you get, if they're truthful about what they say, uh, is no. That they do not care for him, that they cannot work with him, that mm. they that he has burned them, that he's lied to them, that he has uh, promised to do one thing and then stood up and done another. Uh, he has uh, failed to support things that he's promised he would support, and he has done hateful things. Uh, and you know that th- I'll say that the the hate the last one here uh, would probably come from more of the dem- his Democratic colleagues, which uh, he has he has done and supported hateful things uh, that have genuinely hurt people. Uh, his repeal mm. of uh, his cutting of um, uh, unemployment pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, his requirements for work for and and different things for uh, for various uh, you know, welfare benefits and things like that. Those things he's indicated a a lack a complete lack of knowledge of the facts of of the people that apply for those benefits and then ignored the facts when they were presented to him because he did not give a shit about his fellow human beings. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think that a lot of people will have will find deep fault with that with that uh, and rightfully so. And I think there are some other some of his Republican colleagues believe that he has failed to uh, to support things that he promised to support and uh, some good. Some I didn't agree with, uh, but that he has gone his own way and they believe it is for his self-enrichment and his uh, self-promotion uh, and that he has his eyes set on becoming the next attorney general of the state. Um, and that, that that's what a lot of this has been about. Ah, well, you actually uh, beat me to the punch. I was going to ask you, you know, what what's his uh, what's his end game? So that's what you think it is. Well, I don't know if that's his end game, but that's I think his next step uh, is what he mm-hmm. hopes to do, um, and and we'll see we'll see if that's uh, if that's the case. I I'll say this I I also don't believe he is a very well liked lawmaker among voters, um, mm-hmm. and uh, particularly one uh, statewide. And I don't believe what he's doing right now is going to help him at all with a statewide vote. Um, you can't you can't stand in the way of a tax cut as a Republican and, yeah. and hope to get votes. I mean, it is a killer. And I don't care what state you're in, where you are. It is a killer still to this day, no matter what the climate is and what the uh, what the overall uh, weather is, you know, wh- which way the winds are blowing here. If you stand in the way of a tax cut for average workers, which is what he's doing standing in front of two of them right now, then you're going to get hurt. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that's that's still the way things are. Of course, we've seen 
uh, a strange uh, transition in values in that party. Yes. Uh, led by Trump in some uh, primarily in some other areas. But I think you're right. Tax taxes are still, you know, they've they flipped on law and order. They flipped on the military, as we've seen with Tuberville. Um, they've they've. They flipped on, uh, I did say law and order. Yeah, they flipped on law and order. But I think you're right. They're still, they're still following the, the basic traditional position, I think, when it comes to taxes. Yeah. So it's going to, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that, how does that, how does that affect them? Now, of course, because we're talking about uh, taxes that are going to benefit the working you know, working people and in many cases, working poor people, mm-hmm. uh, he may not catch a lot of flack for that. I don't know, man. Uh, you know, that's a that's a bread and butter sort of thing for for that party. You know, is talking about how we're we're cutting taxes for the for the working man, you know, even if they're really not, you know, that was, well, I, that was one of the selling points of those Trump tax cuts, you know, that's the way they got them passed was. Right. Uh, well, gonna, that's what they, but I, yeah. I mean, I think that's my point. That's the illusion. So that's the, that's the illusion. It's not the reality. Yeah. The reality is they, they really champion tax cuts for uh, not even middle-class, but upper middle-class and wealthy people. They don't really champion tax cuts and financial benefits well, for those that are lower. So I think they the champion fact, them. They champion them. They just don't do them. You know they what I mean? They don't do it. Yeah. They don't do it. Yeah, but, but there's still, still the PR packet that goes out with it. You know what I'm well, saying? Well, but it's the lie. Yeah. It's the right. lie. Sure. Yeah. Sure, it's a lie. But so, in this case, there's nothing to lie about. You know what I'm saying? There's right. nothing. Which, there's no offset here to say, hey, we gave but, you this. You know, I, I mean, I guess you could well, say the grocery tax cut made, made it 2% or whatever. But, you know, I don't know, man. I don't I don't know. And it, you're right, though. The climate has shifted to the point where who the hell knows, you know, what what will well, play I mean, with that party. Yeah. What, what, <coughs> yeah. What's their future position on this going to be? But I think um, I just wonder if it's really going to bite him since this is this is about working people. Yeah. It's, you know, you uh, speaking of that. I heard uh, some somebody say something funny the other day. It says, you know, if all this stuff that the Republicans are claiming about Hunter Biden and the Biden family or Hunter Biden is true. Hey, hell, he, he's going to have to get elected as a Republican. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, this is his only shot of a future to be elected to Congress as a Republican. Um, it's, it, it, I, you know, this session overall. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I gotta say, I there, there's just to to give some a little bit of of kudos to to a Republican. You know, I, I have been fairly impressed with the way Nathaniel Ledbetter um, has kind of quietly kept a lot of things at bay. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's got some real crazies that he had. You, if you're a leader of the, if you're a speaker of the house, you got to deal with some really crazy ass Republicans. Uh, you know, I mean, you really do. I mean, you got to deal with the Ernie Yarboroughs of the world uh, out there running around, and then the Ed Olivers, you know, and, and, you know, that, that bill from Ernie Yarborough about criminalizing abortion. No, um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but man, 
he might as well have, have posted that damn thing on Facebook. But for all, yeah, it never it never advanced anywhere in the house. Uh, the same thing, you know, for Ed Oliver's uh, divisive concepts bill. You know, mm-hmm. not a didn't didn't sniff. You know, uh, and and there's some, there've been some others. There've been some other fights about things uh, that have you know the drag bill. Uh, the you know that ha- that's gone on, and I, I just I, I felt like. Um, he he kind of as much as he could as much as he could uh kept things in line and i'll t- and i'll say this and i'd love for, for you know, to see what you think i i know where we are in this political climate in this state but to me if from time to time some of these folks like nathaniel ledbetter or danny garrett or some of these other people that that have decent common sense that that come out on you know and and you know you can have they're they're different that you can call up and you can have a rational conversation with them about things. Mm-hmm. Um, if some of those folks would just from time to time, you know, you know, it doesn't have to be some grand thing, but just from time to time, say, you know, this is a terrible idea. This you know this this transgender bill is a terrible idea because it's going to hurt us as a state and 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 it hurts people that are in a bad spot, like the governor of Utah, for example, you know, that, that came out and said, you know, the, the, I can't do this to these kids. This is hurting these kids. Yeah. And for no, no real gain whatsoever. Uh, you know, the facts simply aren't, aren't, aren't there to support what you're claiming. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if from time to time, I think some of these folks that people take serious, like Ledbetter and others would come out and say these things. I, it, man, I think it would make a world of difference to this state. I'll tell you what, we don't, I mean, you know, it certainly wouldn't hurt us to have them try it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they would try yeah. it, that would just be great. Yeah. You know, we could see, yeah. you know, yeah. you know whether or not it could help change the culture of our state. Because, there, you know, there are a lot of people that, that hold on to just silly ideas about things. And uh, yeah. I, I posted, um, I, boy, I hate it when people uh, go on podcasts and radio shows talking about what they posted on social media, but <laughs> but this is relevant, so I'm going to say it. Uh, I posted a picture of Wanda Sykes on my Facebook page. Ah, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, the, and a quote from her latest Netflix special, which is hilarious, by the way. She's, yes, she's just is. a brilliant yes, stand-up com- comedian. And, uh, and what she was basically saying... You know that un- that until a drag queen goes into a school and kills some kids with with a copy of To Kill a Mockingbird, you know people are worrying about the wrong stuff, right? Yeah. So this right. this this woman who is a black, um, I think she's she's a black church going person from what I can recall. She posts on on uh, and as a reply to that, uh, well, God made God made men to be men and women to be women. And you know that's just such a stupid response to yeah. to this thing, and it and it ignores so much. And yes, and does. what I said to her basically is, and 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 I'm saying, you know, again, this is about people holding on to just really half baked cliches, right? God gave. You know, if you believe in God, and I know everybody that listens doesn't believe in God, and that's fine. This is yeah. not about proselytizing or or promoting doctrine. It's about just dealing with somebody's mindset where they are. For a person who says they believe in God, well, if you believe in God, then you also have to believe that God gave everybody freedom of choice. 
Right. So if a man decides that he wants to put on a dress and high heels and makeup, you know what? God gave him the right to make that decision. Yeah. So why, what's your yes. beef with somebody exercising their God-given right to choose to live the way they want to live? Why is that your problem? Why is that something yeah. that you have to oppose? It's just so ridiculous. Yeah, and these, I'll tell you, man, um, I, I get so tired of hearing people talk about protecting children. Protect, oh, we got to protect these kids from this. Oh, you, you can't be talking to kids about this. Oh, my God, they, they're well, talking to the kids. What are you talking and it's not it's nonsense, you know. At the same time, we're living in a state where uh, we got one of the highest infant mortality rates in in the country, and and hell, more than half of our counties don't have a pediatrician working. You want to protect some kids? I tell you how to protect the kids: get them a damn doctor. Yeah, and you expand Medicaid, get them a doctor in the county. Right. That's um, right. But you know, I, the other day, you know, I got a little girl. She's five now. Uh, and this was a few months back, and uh, and we were we were driving home uh, from I, I think from from dad pre K. And um, and she was asking about they'd had a conversation at school about uh, who could get married and, you know, who's going to marry who and who's going to marry them or whatever. And uh, and she was going through it. And it was a boy and a girl and a girl and a boy. And a, and then and she said, but and then she named off two girls. She said, but wait, can two girls get married. And I said, well, they can. She said, well, my friend said uh, they, they can. I said, well, they can. And she said, well, why? And I said, well, that's just who they love. And. Uh, I said, you know, whoever they love is who they love. And it doesn't, it, you know, it works different for different people. And you decide that on your own and that's your business and that's their business. And if they want to do that, then you respect that and you're happy for them because they found somebody to love in, you know, in their life and they found somebody important to them. And that's all that should matter is that they're happy and that you're you're happy in your life and nobody's making you uh, choose to, to date a boy or that's whatever. Right. You know, right. you're you're happy with what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And she said. Can we go get pizza? <laughs> and so, you know, that. it was a very, it was a very intimate moment, you know, and uh, and so, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. they're, they're kids and it's just that easy to just say, yeah. look, man, mind your business, yeah. you know, basically. Mind your business and, yeah. and be happy for people when they're happy yeah. because it's just, you know, you, you don't, you don't know them. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know. Exactly. Um, you, you know, you don't. And let me tell you something. Uh, there is. At the end or towards the end of the this Ted Lasso season, uh-huh. uh, the guy on there that plays Roy Kent, uh, they, they, there's a press conference. And you could probably look up this clip without spoiling it if you've never seen it. And, and there's a press conference and he's there. And he's a coach and he's they're asking him about a player who's done something bad and and what you know he's going to talk to him about. And he gives an example of his life of when he said something about a person uh, and their kid uh, that had not been born yet. Mm. And that person just beat the hell out of him. Mm. And and he said, you know, I found out later they had lost that kid. Mm. And that my comment, that was the reason for his reaction. So you don't know what these people are going through. So I don't know what he's going through. I just know that when I see it, I choose to give him love. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all that you can do as a person. And I mean, you know, first of all, it's a, it's a fantastic show. If you, if it, it is, seen it. it's very and, funny. Uh, very it, funny. It, it's very right. funny and yeah. it's very uplifting and mm-hmm. it's very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but I mean, that stuck with me because I think that's a great way to, to look at this whole transgender issue and, yeah. uh, and gay marriage and everything yeah. in life is 
You don't know what other people are going through. That's right. You don't know. You think you know, and you want to assign shit to people and Mm -hmm. all this stuff, but you don't know what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so just mind your business and be kind. And what are we going to do? What's what's better? You know, what makes you feel better than that? And to me, uh, you know, as a church going person, that is more Christian than the judgmental, harsh, uh, responses that we so often get when people see something that they don't agree with and they feel they've yeah. got to oppose. You know, let people live their lives. Life is difficult. And yeah. if you can find somebody, my, my philosophy is if you can find somebody that you can love and who can love you back and you can make that thing work, God bless yeah. you, man. Especially yes. knowing that that for many, and since we're talking about LGBTQ plus people, many people in that category have had a hell of a journey. You know, some of yes. them have been rejected by families. Some of them have been yeah. rejected by churches. Uh, they have they have faced discrimination in in yeah. in, in in a variety of ways in our society. In, in fact, it was only really legal. You know. Uh, in a technical sense, I guess, but but then also literally on the books, it was really only legal for two people of the same sex to have sexual intercourse in our country. Um, uh, I think it was in the early 2000s that that Supreme Court ruling mm. was issued that struck down the sodomy, the anti-sodomy laws. Yeah. So, I mean, come on, you know, um, and we act like we act like this is something that's brand new. When, um, you know, um, you know, if you want to use the term homosexuality or LGBTQ, whatever you want to use, it, it all goes back hundreds of years, thousands of years. This is not brand new. No, this is not no, something it's... that's new, you know. So, you know, let's stop acting like this is some new phenomenon that's that's about to destroy civilization. It's not. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It never has been. And, you know, and I'll tell you, the only thing that the only threat to civilization or the country or anything else uh, are people uh, trying to harm others through legislation that that's hurtful. That's Uh, right. You know, that that's. You know, the, you, when you start banning books and uh, banning people and, um, you know, and villainizing folks for, or vilifying folks for just being being who they are, then you, you that's that's the danger. You're you're the danger. And, and if you doubt this, watch any movie and tell me which side the book burners are on. OK, mm. it's, it's never the good guys. They're never the good guys. They're, you know, and so it's the, the folks on the white horses. They never ride in and burn the books. They just don't, you know. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's get out of here uh, until uh, until next week. Y'all be safe and kind and kind. And kind. Please. Peace. Peace.